need to feed my spirit. I was once looking. You are a specter from the gods. Walk with me. All right, this is Devin Brown. You're listening to Wait, You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. Um, we've got a very special guest today, the powerful Dayton Smith. He was actually my very first zone leader on my mission. Um, now, if you're not acquainted with the church, you might be wondering why someone who is no longer Mormon, why they're so fixated on the Mormon mission, even seven, eight years after I came home. Um, and as you'll hear in this conversation, it's because Mormon missions, as good as they can be at times, they can also be equally traumatizing. It's something that you think about every day, um, involuntarily, because of the toll that it took on you. Um, you're away from your family, away from your friends for two years, and you have no vices. And two years is a very long time with no vices. Um, so just to kind of... Uh, give you an idea of why it's so pressing on the mind of an ex-Mormon is because coming up, you're encouraged by everyone in your life to serve a full-time mission. All of the prophets, they tell you, serve a full-time mission. They encourage you to be worthy so you can go on a full-time mission. And the people that don't serve, they're kind of stigmatized, they're kind of shunned. In fact, it's a running joke or trope that if you don't serve a mission, you're not a, a return missionary and RN, you're not going to be able to find a wife. You're not going to be able to date. So it's a very strong motivator to get you to go. Um, and as you listen, you'll kind of uh, hear us talk about, you know, some of those more negative aspects of our experience and some of the events that occurred that have stuck with us, some of those spiritually traumatizing events. So it's going to be a great episode. Um, definitely subscribe because you're going to get a lot of similar guests, a lot of people who have left one tribe and maybe they're still searching for another tribe or maybe they're okay just being on their own. All right, so like we said, we got the uh, the very powerful Dayton Smith over here to bring back a throwback vocabulary term. Very powerful. Um, he probably you probably don't know this. Uh, you were my you, you were my first zone leader in the mission. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so of course a little greeny in the field. I was like, man, this guy is like so spiritual. Like this is the kind of missionary I want to be. This is how I want to model my whole mission on this guy's just like, I was just really impressed. And so imagine my surprise when yeah. I, dis when I yeah. discovered, I was like, Oh, this, I think this guy is, might be out of the church as well. Um, so that was, oh. a, so that was a very fun surprise. Cause you know, you have to keep that hidden a lot of the time. Um, so Ken's kind of leading in Dayton. Um, just tell us a little about who you are so we can get a sense of, uh, yourself. Yeah, well, first off, I thought you were going to say, like, how big a surprise when I realized he was so full of shit. Well, that too, yeah, I guess. You know, I, I totally believed it, yeah. I totally right? believed it, so yeah. I, I did a good job at selling that. Um, yeah, so my name's Dayton. I'm from, um, born and raised in Utah. 
So you can imagine uh, my roots, which we'll probably talk about, is pretty solidly founded in Mormonism. Um, yeah, right now I live in Salt Lake City. It's kind of a nice little uh, bubble within Utah that you get a little bit more uh, people with open minds and, um, yeah, a little bit more diversity. So it's a, it's a nice place in Utah to be. Um, yeah, currently I, I'm a personal trainer. I, I help clients achieve their health goals. Uh, I'm also trying to transfer a career more into helping people heal their bodies, okay. heal from trauma, um, and like mental health and issues like that. So I'm currently going to school and kind of shifting yeah. directions that way. Oh yeah. Now is that just um, physical trauma or is that, you know, I've seen you kind of talk about like a spiritual trauma as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you know, any, any type of trauma is going to manifest itself physically in mm -hmm. the body. So whether it's, um, you know, getting hit by a car or experiencing years of chronic stress or uh, emotional abuse, like all, all types of different things can, yeah. can cause issues in your body that need to be healed or they'll continue to persist and cause different problems in your life. So that's kind of my main focus right now and what I'm hoping to do with my future. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's actually like a perfect tie-in to like what I'm, I'm trying to do with the podcast um, because a mission is a huge stress. It's a physical stress. It's a mental stress. Um, so a lot of people, when I talk about it, they're like, man, that was like seven, eight years ago. Why is that still such, why is that so prescient in your mind still? Um, and it's like you're saying, it was, it was a traumatic period of time. Like you're away from your family. You're so isolated. You're probably being worked more than you've ever worked before up to that point. There's a lot of sleep deprivation. Um, so I think that's really cool, um, that you're kind of focusing on that because that's kind of what we want to focus the podcast on is kind of bringing light and kind of some healing to a lot of that spiritual trauma. Um, so a lot of the listeners, they'll know that we actually served our missions together for a brief period of time in the Ghana Cape Coast mission. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your impressions kind of preparing for that mission um, and getting your call. Okay. Um, yeah, and real fast, just to address kind of what you were talking about um, with the, like, it being a traumatic experience, uh, there's a, a leader in the church named Elder Holland, and he says that the rest of your life, you'll think about your mission every day. Mm. And like, unfortunately, that's pretty true. Yeah. And you know, it's a traumatic experience when, you know, eight years later, you're still having nightmares that you're on your mission. Exactly. <laughs> and so like, it just goes to show that like, it does do a number. And while a lot of people see it as this, and you know, there are parts of it that you can see that are really great and mm -hmm. that you learn a lot, but there is also a lot of toxicity and damage as being done. But to get back to um, your question, for me, preparing for my mission, getting my call, um, like I said, my roots were always in 
Mormonism, right? But growing up, I was constantly like floating away from those roots, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, living different lifestyles than the typical Mormon. My family wasn't the traditional uh, Mormon family. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really hard to be kind of like an outlier in a community that's so densely populated with one train of thought. Um, I had this time when I was in high school where I was, I was really depressed. Like I was, uh, looking back now, I had a lot of unresolved trauma that was causing a lot of problems in my life and that I was dealing with in unhealthy ways. Um, namely in a like a really toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. And so like I was constantly depressed, you know, just going through this wave of emotions and out of nowhere, my state president, um, and for those that don't know, like the church is set up in this like hierarchical patriarchy basically. And a state president oversees um, separate congregations called wards. And there could be like two to 300 people in these wards each, right? And the state president is looking over like 10 of those wards. So he's got like a big job. He's got a lot of people to see. Um, But for some reason, he felt it necessary to call me in for a a personal interview Mm -hmm. when I was was 16 or 17. I think I was 17, 17 years old. So really busy dude. For some reason, he needs to call me in and talk to me. Um, And so I go in there. And he basically just, (laughs) like, chastised me to the point that I felt so terrible about myself and, like, the things that I was doing Mm. that I was shamed into, like, making a change. Yeah. But that change that I made, right, did eliminate some unhealthy practices in my life. Like, namely with, like, my toxic relationship, Mm -hmm. right? And because, like, I had a positive experience kind of exercising some self-control and, like, stepping away from that, and not even just one relationship, but, like, many relationships, um, like, I experienced this, like, relief and this joy, And to me, I took that as, oh, my gosh, dude, this is the secret. This is the truth. Like, they're right about Joseph Smith. That dude really did see God, you know, and all of these things. And that's where, like, my personal testimony grew Mm -hmm. of the church, Um, which, you know, later, many years later down the road, I'll realize, like, you know, just exercising some like putting some boundaries and relationships and exercising some, like healthy life practices isn't exclusive to Mormonism mm-hmm. right like that doesn't make the church true that just makes like you know maybe that's at 17 you need further guidance on how to have a, a relationship or further guidance on a healthier life practices right or how to deal with like your emotions and uh, all this energy that's trapped inside your body and but anyway, so I I totally, you know, dive in. I am like 100% convinced I have this strong testimony. I have this, now I have this will like to, to share it with people and like have everyone experience the, the relief and the happiness that I found. Um, so 
I continued out the rest of high school. I graduated seminary. Like, I had hardly gone to seminary. So I was doing, like, three seminary classes a day in order to graduate. Um, But, yeah, then I, like, put in for my mission call. I get my call. It's to Ghana, Africa. I was super stoked about that. Um, because I, after high school, I'd kind of like traveled around to different mm-hmm. countries and did some uh, humanitarian work. So I was really excited to go out of the, out of the country. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like my path to how I embarked onto into a mission. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's kind of listening to you. Listening to you, it's very funny what you can convince yourself, you know, into. Like you were saying. Um, anything that's positive becomes like bias towards positivity in the church, you know? So I remember kind of a similar trajectory that I had. Um, I had gotten into a car accident, like when I was 17, that kind of was like a life, you know, opening, like an eye opening experience for me where I was like, I really got to start going back to church. You know, I think there's more to life. I got to get back into church. Um, and I had strayed a bit, you know, I'd broken the law of chastity, I'd done this kind of stuff. And my first Sunday back, I felt so guilty. I was like, I have to confess to the bishop. And when I went to him, I was nervous, very much like you were. Um, but when I told him what I had done, he was like very nonchalant about it. He was just like, oh, Devin, is she pregnant? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no. And he was like, oh, you're good. Just put in your papers. Put in, oh, your wow. mission, put in your mission papers. Like he wanted me to start that process right away. Um, and then, you know, when I went out to Utah and you, you know, you realize like you see a lot of people not taking the sacrament and stuff for way lesser offenses. It's kind of like, why is God telling all of these individuals such crazy, drastic punishments, you know, depending on who the person is. Um, but he, you know, he encouraged me to go on the mission. I wasn't really thinking about it. Um, and I think that night or that weekend, I was watching BYU TV and the best two years came on. And so I watched that movie and I was like, this is a sign from God that <laughs> he really like the bishop is inspired. Like he really wants me to go on this mission because why else would this movie be on at this specific time? On BYU On TV. BYU TV. <laughs> you know, so I was like, man, I was ready to go. And I was also very hyped to go to Ghana because no one wants to go to like Kentucky for two years. That's right. That'd be a waste of time. Um, but on the subject of Ghana, um, what was your first impression when you got there? You were excited to go. Um, what were your feelings like when you actually got to the NTC and started, you know, hitting the pavement? Um, yeah, so it was, it was a uh, quite the culture shock, of course, um, which I didn't think I was going to like be shocked that much because I spent, I spent like a couple months living in the Philippines. I spent a couple months in Ecuador, um, so I thought I'd been like exposed to um, different cultures and um, kind of that third world world life. But yeah, I was. Uh, I was, I, was, I was quite culture shocked. Um, the MTC was absolutely terrible. Like, it was the worst three weeks. I don't even remember how long we were there. Yeah, but something like that. I, like, continually had nightmares that I was, like, trying to escape from prison. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there. 
But then going into the field, you know, it was all like really exciting. Um, my first area was crazy. I did you ever serve near Odobin? Um, I was a zone leader for the Swager zone. So I'd, oh, yeah. I'd, so I'd gone on splits there from Winnebago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Is that when was... you started? Yeah. Dude. Oh. I was thrown right into the fire. Yeah. So for everyone, so a little um, context of the Odobin. Odobin is a little village that's probably like three hours, three or four hours from the mission home. Like, super far out of the way you pass like so many other little villages to get there like it's it's really confusing why there's a church there um but i was the only white person within like i don't know like a two-hour drive with me within me and no one in the most people in the um, village didn't speak english so i was basically walking around with a Ghanaian companion Mm -hmm. And that's it, like walking around with him and sitting there listening him speak this uh, native language that I wasn't allowed to learn or encouraged to learn. Mm -hmm. And I was just walking around, like thrown right into the deep of it. We constantly didn't have running water. Uh, We were hand washing our clothes, like the whole thing. But it was, I was thrown into the fire. It was, it was pretty rough. And the whole time I was convinced that this was like punishment for like, the, the stuff I had done prior in my life and that I was just like paying my dues. So, so yeah, that was my, I didn't, I didn't email my family or like hear from my family for the first three months of my mission. Oh my God. Yeah. Because they didn't have internet. Yeah. <laughs> in and it was probably like, it's a decent amount of the stipend to take the Trotro into Swedru. Yeah. In yeah, time. In time. Like, yeah. Which, Swager is like an hour drive away. Yeah, easily. Yeah, easily. That's crazy, man. But you got to see some like prime, like topless old women, though, I'm sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I was uh, in, in Comfla for like my first six transfers or something, just right uh-huh. by the mission home. And that was like, oh, right, right, that right. was such a, a shock to me. Just like, all right, let's go into this compound. I'm going to teach. Oh, hey, hey, grandma. Just let them hang out. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. Or you'd be teaching a lesson. It's like, oh, hold on. I got to feed my baby. Like, right, p- right. Plop that breast right out and start breastfeeding. Yeah. I remember the first lesson I was like holding the pamphlet in front of my face. Yeah. But that's like an interesting lesson that I've learned too is like how how much we like sexualize nudity mm-hmm. when it's like not necessary. Like that was like a really big shock to us. Like, on like, as we first come onto the mission, but by the end of it, you see like all sorts of things and it doesn't even cross your mind. Uh-uh. And it's not even that like, there's like attractive people that aren't wearing tops too, but oh, it's yeah. like, you don't even like think twice about it, you know? Uh-uh. Um, so is there anything that you, cause obviously you adjust over time. You start developing that weird accent that we had in order for people to understand us. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you find yourself missing about Ghana? um man oh you know what i actually i really do miss and what i really loved about mission was like not having a phone and Mm. being so so far away from like technology and it's constant constant like bombardment Mm -hmm. um 
so yeah, I, I really, I really miss that. I really miss like the social connections. Mm-hmm. Um, like I still have people that I keep in contact with, uh, and just like how, how a lot of uh, their happiness is so detached from like e- ego mm-hmm. and like monetary things, um, and how they can just find happiness like in, you know, having very minimal stuff, and yeah. so. Um, yeah, I, I definitely miss that yeah, coming awesome. back to Western society where it's so like materialistic and mm-hmm. whatnot. Everything I miss, none of it is as like deep or mature as your answer. <laughs> like mainly I miss like being called white every day. <laughs> like that was kind of interesting. It's like, yes, I am I am a white man. I think there is something deeper to that, Deb. You can do it. Because <laughs> uh I it was so funny. You'd like make like toddlers cry like on site. So it's like, oh yeah. my god. Um and being able to pee anywhere too. That, yeah. That was very that's convenient true. and very sweet. Um that's a nice segue into um, you know, obviously like the missions, it's such a, a big part of your life. You do think about it every day, like even when you're outside of the church. Um, so did you have any kind of like defining mission experiences, whether, you know, positive and negative? Um, yeah, so like when you told me about this podcast, I really had to... Like, I spent the last couple days, like, trying to think about the mission, and, like, that's usually, like, an involuntary thing, mm-hmm. you know? So I've had to, like, process a lot of stuff, and it's it's been a little bit more difficult to, like, think of uh, the, like, positive mm-hmm. defining, like, experiences. Um, but, yeah, I would say that um, I, I feel like you know, being on the mission and trying to, like, convince people and, like, influence people. Um, I came from a culture where it was very much you did that through, like, shame, okay. you know, even though that's not the context I would put it in then. Um, but, like, that doesn't work, you know, with people that really, you know, this Mormonism thing is a new thing for them and they don't, you know, you tell them they're going to hell, they're going to go somewhere else and mm-hmm. they're going to tell them they're going to heaven, you know? So uh, I really learned that like kind of like build, cultivating relationships and um, like, like, being, like becoming friends with people and trying to influence them from like a different aspect of more or trying to influence them to being more empathetic and like, uh, cultivating some like unity and then influencing them through that way. Um, yeah, that's like, I was really scratching deep for like some positive takeaways. Like I'm sure like, you know, I, I learned to work hard. I learned, you know, how to be, uh, disciplined, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but once again, I don't think that's like super exclusive to a mission. Um, as far as like negative things or like defining moments that I've learned from now, like my biggest challenge with whole thing was definitely companions. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, there's a lot of like unhealthy, you know, you don't learn boundaries Mm. because you're just like forced to have to be with this person the entire time. I had one companion that, uh, like the whole time I was with him, like I was just like convinced on being humble and being like perfect just to maintain a good relationship. But if I saw that dude today, like I, I've never been in a fight, but I would punch that dude in the face. Like that was like one of my biggest regrets is that like, I didn't like stand up for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't like set boundaries. I didn't call the mission president and ask for emergency transfer Mm -hmm. because, you know, emergency transfer, that was such a shameful thing. Yeah, exactly. Which I think has like going through relationships like that has like developed unhealthy, you know, habits and future relationships Mm -hmm. for me. Um, so, so yeah, like I've learned a lot from, from looking back and seeing those things. Yeah. Yeah. If nothing else, you really do learn how to like deprive yourself of any joy, you know, Yeah. that really yeah. helped uh, me out in college. It's just like, yeah, I can live in this, the worst apartment ever without anything. Cause I did that for two years and that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you kind of like you take like this pride in your your ability to suffer, yeah. which is also super unhealthy because Very like yeah, much. even just like the ability to have fun is a skill. Mm-hmm. Like we we slowly lose the ability to do as we grow older and older, and like that two years is just like you do not have fun. You know, like were you were you there when that um. Quorum of the 70 guy came. Uh, I forget his name. It was which like, one? There were a couple that came. Satati? The the, no, 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 no. The dude from South America. I think he's from Paraguay or Uruguay. No, I heard about that, though. He, like, didn't he chastise everyone like crazy? Yeah, dude. Yeah. This dude was the, he's, like, one of the main leaders of the church, and he was, like, the meanest, most unempathetic dude mm-hmm. I've ever met. And he basically came and made us all feel bad for, like, the little joy that we did find like mm-hmm. to survive out there. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's just stuff like that. That's like, yeah, that definitely wasn't, wasn't healthy. Mm-hmm. Did you have the, uh, the preach my gospel training videos, like the districts? Um, like, yeah, I never, we never watched them. I was okay. like on my way out by that time. Okay. But being super jealous of those guys that you're talking yeah. about. Well, <laughs> yeah. I just remember like, kind of what you meant you mentioned like finding joy and just the smallest things possible on the second the district there is this segment where they're teaching this guy and he happens to like play violin so there's this portion where it segues and it starts with him like playing this beautiful song on the violin and we would just rewatch that like 30 second clip like oh really all the time just to hear something like oh, yeah this is awesome it was just it became like just such an, and I would probably watch the testaments. Like, and we would just try to play that for anybody anytime right, we could. Right. Yeah. Anytime you could just like tune out and like just let your mind go and watch something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's kind of like, um, you know, if anyone's listening that's like maybe thinking about going on a mission or anything like that, um, you know, that's definitely a major takeaway is that the companionships are going to be some of the most difficult aspects of the whole two years. Um, and I think you're hitting on the heart of that. It's, it really does come down to boundaries. And it's so easy because you believe that, a, you know, a prophet of God called you to Ghana for a reason, like you're supposed to be there for specific people even. 
And so all these companions that you're getting paired with, those are the exact people that God wants you to be with. So there's probably some lessons that you're supposed to learn from this person. So I remember I was with uh, one of my MTs, who's a, a Nigerian guy. And, you know, a lot of the African guys were a lot older than us. A lot of them were in their mid to late 20s, you know. So when you're like 19, 20 and you're paired with them, they have so much more world experience than you. Um, but we were, uh, our first three days when I transferred to meet him were so fun. He was the funniest guy. I was like so excited to be with him. And then about four days in, he totally switched on me and like pulled his mask off and kind of like revealed what he was really about. And, um, you know, he didn't want to work. So when I was pressuring him to work, he started to punish me. So he's like, oh, I'm going to work you so hard that you're not going to want to work. So he's taking I'm me, so I'm going to walk so fast that you have to keep up with me because the rules say you got to keep up with me. I'm going to take you to the highest hills, up and down the hills all day long. Um, so yeah. by like 8.30, one of these days when he first does it, I'm like, man, we got to be back at the apartment by 9 o'clock. We're not going to be at the apartment at 9 o'clock because we've got people to teach. We're going to be out all night. And so I finally had enough. I just left. I walked away. And I was like, you know, I got like halfway. I got like back to town. And I was like, I can't go back to the apartment. I got to wait for this guy. And I'm waiting on the side of the road by this shack because we were teaching a guy who carved wood. And he had, a, he had a shack with all this stuff on the side of the road. So I'm waiting there. I know he'll walk past. I finally see him coming up the road like Nigerian Terminator, just like really coming at me, really aggressive. <laughs> and I was like, all right, here we go. We're about to have this confrontation. He finally stops and totally switches. And he makes me so calm. And he's just like, hey, let's follow me into this, this pitch black shack so we can talk. And I just naively follow him into the shack. And as soon as we get in there, he grabs me by my tie and like pulls me in by the throat and raises his arm up like it's just going to beat the shit out of me. And he's like, look, all that stuff you want to do, we're done with that. I get the phone. You're not going to have the phone. You're not calling president. You better not say anything. You know what I mean? Just totally going into me, like just verbally abusing me. I was terrified. Just like, I kind of wanted to cry a little bit. Like I'd never yeah. been in a situation like this. Yeah. And we finally get out and he's like walking by me and he's just like, do you see what you almost made me do, Elder Brown? You almost made me like de destroy you. Can you imagine what your mom would say? if she found out that you got fucked up in, in Africa, <laughs> total abuser. And then I just like the rest, we were together for like two transfers and I just convinced myself like God wanted me to learn long suffering. He, yeah, he wanted, yeah. he wanted to refine me. He was preparing me for something, you know, it's, it's really unhealthy, man. That's really yeah. That's exactly it, dude. I had that same, that same experience. Like it came down to they were doing the same thing. Like he was walking super fast. I would just like try to see him from a distance, know when he turned left or know when he turned right, you know. Um, but then we got to this point where we just—it's probably the first, only time this has ever happened in my life. I've had someone be so straight up with me. But we just—he just like stopped, and like I was walking, I turned and look at him. I was like, dude, I was like, what is wrong? And he's like, just looks me like deeply in the eyes, and he says, I hate you. And I was like, Whoa. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, I guess. Uh, all right. That's how this is going to go. This, uh, was, uh, this was Elder Holm, wasn't it? 
Definitely not. Yeah, that would have been so fun. He was he was a sweet guy. Um, but I guess that kind of uh leads us to the next portion, like so post mission. You know, you come home, how long until uh your shelf breaks and, and what were some of those those items that really broke your shelf? Yeah. Um so my my whole like experience on the mission, experience in the church, I had a really hard time with people not being authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, even like missionaries that were there and like weren't even really trying and they were just there because they had to be there or like even like racism was a really big thing it in was. our mission yeah. that like you kind of see like now, like where people would like talk mad shit on the culture and on the people the way they did things but then like go and like bear their testimony and say how much they love the place and i'm sure they did that on their talk but so when i came home like i just had a i had a really hard time um feeling good about myself because on the mission it's really easy to keep all the rules it's really easy to do everything you're supposed to when you come home um, you have a lot more freedom and you have a, le- a lot less drive. And so I was, I was having a real hard time with, uh, shame and, and not even over like big things, just like basically like reading your scriptures every day. Um, yeah, just like saying your prayers or I don't know. And it just like, it uh, wore on me so bad. And then if I tried to like, share my experience with anyone it was like all of a sudden I was being judged and that I was you know addicted to porn or I was you know having sex and all these drinking I don't know like people just automatically assume the worst and I'm like no dude I'm just like having some mental health issues Mm -hmm. like I'm I'm feeling really depressed and really down about myself um and so basically like that just like continued until the point where I was like dude I can't I can't cut it anymore like I can't handle this and so I did kind of like revert back to the way I dealt with things you know before uh-huh. and that led me out of the church because church was just constant shame constant um like you're not measuring up and so yeah I stopped going to church probably like a year after um I got home from my mission and then I haven't been back since uh, I had like a good three years where it was always just kind of in the back of my mind. Um, like I didn't go to church anymore. You know, you have that, that period where you're still wearing your garments. You don't know when to throw your garments away. Like for a long time, I just wore the bottom garments. I didn't wear the top garments, like just weird shit, you know? Um, but then like, I, I like got to this point in my life where I hit another really low point. And I don't know if you had this experience or other people, but it seems like on your way out of the church, you always hit these speed bumps and you like start to doubt, like you're leaving. You're like, is this because that old like mindset of like, this is my punishment comes back and you're like, oh, they're right, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so like I had to take that time and I decided that you know, I'm not going to just like keep running from this. Like I'm going to sit down and I'm going to figure it out. And so I spent a long time like figuring out why I was feeling the way I was feeling. 
Um, and I realized through like the help of reading a lot of Brene Brown's work, uh, a lot of other religious people that have like moved past their former ways. A lot of those authors like Rob Bell, um, even this, uh, priest Richard Rohr is very progressive and has made great sense of a lot of things. Um, they helped me see that, you know, the whole thing that was keeping me tied to the church was this certainty, mm -hmm. right? This like, this uh, certainty that took away all the other like vulnerabilities in life. And that's not really what life is about. Life is about being vulnerable, mm -hmm. being willing to be vulnerable. And you shouldn't be scared of like those uncertainties. And that, like, the certainty around this is the exact way, this is the truth, this is the way I should live my life, created, like, the center of my ego. And that ego was like a wolf. And every time that I was able to follow the rules, I fed the wolf, it felt great. Every time that I couldn't follow the rules, it starved that ego. And it caused shame and, like, all these other types of problems. Mm -hmm. Um so, like, once I was able to see that, like, it wasn't a matter of, like, church history. It wasn't a matter of um, any, like, certain doctrine. It was the fact that it's all, this whole thing is centered on defining exactly the way life is um, and the ego that that creates and the shame that that produces. Then I was able to leave and feel good about it and like no longer have to wonder if I was making the right choice or if I was doing the right things like I could just like peacefully continue with my life mm -hmm. yeah I, I would say I had a, a kind of a similar experience um my exit was definitely more church history related um I kind of was able to really suppress a lot of the other feelings that you mentioned. I definitely had them because, um, you know, I came back to Florida. The church is not as big there, especially um, Northwest Florida. Like, you know, it's very much the South still. Um, so when I came back, I started to feel more like, like a circus monkey or something. Does that make sense? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, you know, they, they sent me all around the stake to, to talk, and I'm pretty sure that's, you know, normal. But I just felt, like, paraded everywhere. Like, look what this guy did. Look what he, what his mission was like. The pressure was so high to, like, live up to a certain expectation that everybody had for me. That that's kind of what really led me, okay, let me just, you know, I'm going to go to school in Utah. You know what I mean? And then getting to Utah, and it, it wasn't the utopia that I thought it would be you know you think of it as this this mecca for the Mormons you got to get out there you got to take your pilgrimage and it's going to be this great experience for you um, I had a real disconnect when I got there um, oh yeah and the people Did you, to, you go to Provo too I was in Provo for a little bit but then I transferred to the University of Utah I just I was like I gotta just get out um but yeah, just it wasn't uh, the the people weren't nice like I thought they would be like just everything nothing was like I thought it would be you know what I mean and that 
that started getting me to even question in the first place. Um, so then I started to like experiment a little bit, I guess kind of like what you were doing, I'll, I'll wear just half of my garments. What, what happens then? I just started like, oh, well, maybe I won't pray before bed tonight. Maybe I just won't read the scriptures in the morning. Maybe I won't do these little things and we'll see how I feel. And you do feel guilt and resistance that whole time. I really thought like maybe I'm being tricked by the devil into not doing these things. Like really, I'm, I'm just damning myself, you know, with all this mental gymnastics. And it's, it's, it's really intense. Um, so there was no church history that you came across, like the CES letter. It was all just kind of internal analysis for you. Yeah. Um, see, my problem with, with church history is that, like, the reason I don't, like, really dive into it too much um, is because I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like, like I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel a lot of times people, they go from being, having this great testimony and being Mormon, and then people kind of shift to this, having a, needing to feed this strong testimony and not being Mormon. Mm-hmm. And, like... To me, I, I think the, the problem is like very much deeper than Joseph Smith having, you know, 14 year old wives or having slaves sealed to him, you know, like those, all those things are super fucked up, but the only reason those things are happening is because he is, he was taking advantage and manipulating people based on their vulnerabilities, Mm -hmm. right? What's like the most vulnerable thing, um, for people in their lives, things that are very close and that they love the most, their families. Mm-hmm. So here comes this guy telling you after your baby just died that you can see your baby again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, of course I'm going to believe him. Oh, and then also in order to see your baby again, you have to do all of these things. And then if you do all of these things, then you'll see your baby again. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you like really step back and like think about that. What, what, what like role is God or whatever the fuck God is? What role is God playing in that? Right? Mm-hmm. Like when you shift that, that power basically from God to you, it's like you become God, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're no longer, Jesus is no longer saving you. You're saving yourself, right? And it becomes a very like egocentric mm-hmm. thing. And like, to me, I, I think life is all about dealing with the vulnerable things, you know, and using faith. And let me clarify, faith is not what you learned it is. Well, and you know, it can be anything to anyone, Mm -hmm. but but to me, faith isn't obedience, right? Faith isn't just like how well you can follow the rules. Faith is like getting a taste of something kind of like you were doing when you decided to stop praying. Mm. Right. It's like, let me try this and let's see if this totally destroys my world. And then you try it and it didn't totally destroy your world. You're like, Oh, I think I can, you know, try this and then be honest with myself and kind of find my own way Mm. to go. You know, it's not like needing someone to like write the script for you and tell you exactly what you have to do. But that is like what we gravitate. That's what the ego gravitates to. That's what we gravitate to as humans. Like you can see it even with our governments, you know, with everything, like 
we just want people to tell us exactly what we have to do. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to think critically and we don't want to figure it out for ourselves. And to me, that's exactly what the church is. Mm-hmm. When you're able to follow rules, it's not that you're feeling the spirit. Like, I'm sure, you know, when you choose to do good things that aren't exclusive to the church, you're going to feel good. But when you're doing these things that are only exclusive to the church, like not drinking coffee or not drinking alcohol just because the church is telling you to, you're just feeling good about yourself. Mm. Like you're just inflating your ego and you feel holy and it feels good to like look at other people and see, oh, they're, you know, they're drinking alcohol. They're, you know, not following God's rules. That's so bad of them. But I'm good over here. Like, I'm following God's rules. I know the truth. Mm-hmm. Right? It becomes this very egocentric thing. And once I feel like once you're able to see that, you no longer have to, like, you don't really need the church history stuff. At that point, the church history stuff just becomes another thing that, like, annoys you. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like, it annoys you that, like, people can't see the deeper like problems with it right like people right now wanting to get rid of brigham young it's like members of the church wanting to cancel the second prophet of the church it's like dude your whole church is based off having the word of god from his prophet like having that certainty having that direction that's what you're church is based off and you're wanting to cancel one of them but still keep the church like true like absolutely true like just doesn't make sense to me yeah and it just becomes frustrating and i definitely feel that um so where do you kind of find yourself now then because i what you're saying i definitely agree with i saw that a lot in salt lake city you know like we mentioned that's a little hub for people, you know, who don't really want anything to do with the church, um, you can come to Salt Lake City and kind of find a little bit of an escape. Um, but I found a lot of people, yeah, as soon as they stop being Mormon, you take that hat off and you immediately replace it with being ex-Mormon. And that's that becomes kind of like your, your second faith is that. Um, so with you having kind of circumnavigated that, um, what do you... You know, what do you consider yourself now? Like, where do you turn to for, you know, any sort of spirituality and fulfillment? Um, yeah, so I, it's hard to put like a label on stuff, but I would consider myself more of a mystic. Okay. Um, I, I don't, I'm not, definitely not Christian. I don't believe that Jesus was the son of God. I don't believe he atoned for our sins. I don't think he needed to. Um, I think, you know, if you look at it historically in the context of what was going on, um, then Caesar was a very evil dude. He referred to himself as the son of God. Jesus came and, like, called his bullshit and was kind of like a social activist leader that, you know, um, referred to himself as the son of God. It's more of like a parody than you know, anything he called the bullshit of the modern religions and said they're like losing the point of, you know, um, like being spiritual. Like it's become for them, you know, it's this 
Pharisees and Sadducees. It was all about just keeping rules. It was all about like public appearance. And he's like, this is bullshit, right? Um, so like right now, like I don't have like a one religion that I prescribe to. Um, I I find spirituality very much in like the process of becoming embodied okay. and uh, working on my health and um, healing my nervous system and being able to like kind of navigate life through that um, being able to like feel what makes me feel good and being able to feel rather than it all just like being in my head and being ideas of the way I feel about myself you know kind of like taking it a level deeper um, but I find a lot of a guidance from you know people like Brene Brown people like Rob Bell, Richard Rohr, uh, Ram Dass. I'm a huge Ram Dass fan. Um, yeah, there's a, there's, there's a whole like group of kind of, uh, deconstructionist type people that have like walked away from their old religions and are kind of like reconstructing this new way to navigate life. Um, the liturgist, uh, community, it's a liturgist podcast. They have a great community of people. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of like finding my group, kind of finding the people that I like see eye to eye with, but at the same time, like these people that I was like feeling, you know, more tribalized with, like now that this whole COVID stuff is happening, is kind of causing a split there. And so, uh, Richard Rohr has this really good book called Falling Upward that, you know, kind of explains like this process of like evolving through life and you know, sometimes you kind of separate from a tribe while still being in a tribe, but that's okay. And like just being more like okay being with yourself and not needing so much attachment. Mm-hmm. So that was a very indirect way to answer your question. Yeah. No, that's a, that was perfect um, because I don't really have, you know, a, a tribe per se. You know what I mean? Um, I got kind of tired out by a lot of like the real heavy ex-Mormon stuff you know what I mean um and then being out of Utah definitely made that a lot easier of course just because it's not in your face all the time um so I think that's very accurate like you you know it's okay to still be figuring it out and working it out and kind of focusing on yourself you know what I mean depending on the way you were brought up focusing on yourself is a negative thing you know what I mean (laughs) You're, you're supposed to focus on others and you know live your life for everyone other than you, you know what I mean? Um, and that's a really healthy place to be is when you can actually get to that point where you recognize and you feel okay with self-fulfillment and doing the things that you want to do. So I think, uh, you know, that was a perfect answer to, um, to the question. I know you got to get out of here pretty soon. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked that you want to share or speak on? Uh, no, I just kind of want to like piggyback off what you just said, um, coming back to, I think a very important part of like switching out of the church is mending, like even just mending your relationship with gospel, right? Um, it's really hard to go from like one reality and then just like completely destroy that reality and like continue to move on. That's like really hard to do. So I've encouraged people to like do some homework, like read some different theology 
like open yourself up. Like I went through this uh, big time where I was going to like different Christian churches like every weekend. And eventually from there, like I decided, you know, Christianity is like not cutting it for me, but I can still like read the Bible and not be offended by it and not have all these like horrible feelings come up. Um, and so kind of like just to tie that in with what you were just talking about, about loving yourself, you know, Jesus, he said, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Right. Paraphrasing. Um, but like, it's, like you have to first be able to be okay with you, be love yourself in order to love other people. Otherwise you're just kind of using and that's a big thing in the church is like you're using your service to other people as a way to like feel worthy to love yourself. You know, like I, I, you know, love my, my fiance so much. I do all these things for her. That makes me feel good about being a husband and loving myself. Right. I serve my community like hours on end. Um, I feel like a good community citizen. And that makes me love myself. It's like, take all those things away. Then what do you have? Like, you need to be able to first, like, be okay with you, be okay with your journey, your path. And then, like, the influence that you're going to have is going to be 10 times stronger. And it's going to be real. It's going to be genuine. And, like, I haven't mastered that. Definitely not. But I think that is, that's embodiment. That is, like, the process. Yeah, man. And, And I couldn't agree more. And I really appreciate you for, you know, being willing to share part of your story, share part of your journey, um, and participate in this conversation with me. Um, so I know you got to go. I think we'll, you know, we can end it here. Um, did you want to plug anything? Is there, you know, you got a, a personal page or something that you want people to check out? Yeah, man. So I really appreciate you having me on. Um, like I said, it's been great for me to process some things I've been kind of avoiding and I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, Yeah, not too much plug. Like, if you want to look me up on Instagram, I like to share my thoughts and you can like them or not. But my Instagram is Dayton underscore underscore Smith. So two underscores. That's me. All right. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. I know you got to go to work. Enjoy the rest of your day. And I really enjoyed the conversation, man. It was good catching up. All right. Thanks, man. You too. All right. Peace, brother. Later. All right. You can follow me at Wait Your Mormon Podcast on Instagram, or you can reach me with questions um, at waityourmormon at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to a Focal Point podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.